Welcome to the Bench Podcast. Once again, I'm Michael, joined by Alan, Aaron and Will. Evening, gents. How are we doing? We okay? Good, mate. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Um, we've got another fantastic episode lined up tonight. We've got some referees on. Um, the title of the episode different being... spin on it for us. Yeah, different spin, but the title of the episode being How the Man in the Middle Perceives the Guys on the Sideline. So, two guests on tonight, so delighted to introduce them. First is Michael Barlow. Michael's a Level 2 B referee. He's also, which means he referees in the National League North. He's also a match referee in the EFL Reserve League, match referee in the Women's Super League, and a fourth official for the EFL League One and League Two. Evening, Michael. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, pal? Evening, gents. Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, doing well. It's still great to have you on, pal. And then joining thanks. Michael is Matt Scholes. Matt is a Level 3 referee. He's a match referee in the Northern Premier League as well as an assistant referee in the National League and a Premier League 2 assistant referee. Evening, Matt. How are you doing? Evening, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, brilliant. Doing well, mate. So we're going to, as usual, talk about a few different topics and everything. Um, we'll get a little bit of background information on the gents first, and then we'll get straight into it. So I'll pass you over to Will. Right, guys. Uh, just a quick question. Like, when did you guys get into football? Uh, sweet. I'll, I'll go first on this one. Um, oh, I've, I've been a football fan since I was born, to be honest. It's, it's like everyone. Uh, it's in my blood, really. Um, started playing football from the age of five. There's a local team in, in Bolton called Ladybridge Football Club. Uh, joined them as a little toddler at five-year-old. Uh, absolutely distraught at the time. Very shy child. Didn't want to really get involved and interact with people. Um, you know, the first, I remember the first training session going down there, frightened to death of meeting the other kids and thinking, how am I going to be compared to these lot? Uh, but after a couple of weeks, settled in really well. Um, and I've, I've loved football ever since, to be honest. I played until I was 18 at Ladybridge Football Club. Also had a little stint at Lee RMI, as they were back in the day, uh, before they went under. Uh, played for the under-18s team there. Uh, Played for my schools, primary schools and uh, and high schools. And I've been a, a massive Bolton Wanderers fan since birth, uh, which has its knock-on effects for refereeing because I don't think I'll ever be able to referee the, the lads in white. But there you go, that's another story. <laughs> um, I played five-a-side then after 18 up until I was about 23-year-old. Um, but then started to get older and I started to feel the aches and pains a little bit more than what I normally would do. Um, and I just thought it's probably wise to, to hang up the boots and hopefully sustain a longer refereeing career. Uh, as much as I loved playing football, I knew I was probably never going to make it as a pro. Uh, and I thought the next best thing would be to get into refereeing, which I did at a very young age, which I'm sure we'll come on to a little bit later. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm assuming the same as all you guys. I, I live and breathe football. Um, even more so now, uh, non-league football, because that's what I'm refereeing on. I'm always checking the results of the local teams. For example, Aberson Collieries, uh, constantly checking the local results. And I just love football. I, like I say, I live and breathe it. And I, I wouldn't be the person I am today without football. Oh, that's brilliant. What about yourself, Matt? I'm pretty much similar to Michael, apart from I was a bit later on when... Um, when I started to get into football, because at first I was pretty much going on a... When I first started playing football, I was literally like really young, about six, since like six-year-old when I started playing, but I weren't like... I was pretty much back in the olden days when I started playing, so I used to like go up to 
go up to the local school car park and start kicking a ball with my dad. So I didn't really playing it as much, but as the time I started getting a bit older, between like eight to ten years old, I used to go Monday nights, like all these, it's like a football junior night. Like it's like a little, you know, just a little kick around with some other kids as well, trying to mix us in. Because I wasn't yeah. the best, I was pretty much shy with Michael. You know, um, it took me a lot to start to to start making friends there, and I was there for a couple of years. I started to enjoy it, and then by the age of ten, I started having a go and getting myself into a bit of the nine v nine. And then a year into um, 11, 11 v 11, playing for Turton FC. Um, after about a year and a half, I decided to move. And I moved to pretty much the same club as where Michael went to, which is Ladybridge. And I spent a good, oh, I think it was about where was it, 12, to, 12 to about 17 years old. So about a good five years there playing football. Um, and obviously with the fam, and obviously with mom and dad as well, we hadn't, um, they came and watched when I played Saturday mornings and then in the afternoon, be, if Bolton Wanderers were at home, I'd be there with a season ticket. And obviously, when I got a bit older, I started going watching them away. So we're all the same, live and die. You know, born and bred football always have been, but it just took me a bit longer to get into it. So, but now the refereeing took off at the age of 17. Um, but rewinding a little bit, at the age of 16, um, I got a bit of a bad injury where pretty much three, two games left of the season, I went and brought my ankle. Um, so I was, I was out of football for quite a long time. And then I, when I fast forward, now going to the age of 17, I was I went back playing for Ladybridge, played about two games, and I thought to myself, I'm not going further. I'm a qualified referee. Let's give this a go and see what happens. So I hung the boots up, took the refing off. And if I took that decision from... Obviously, having chat, having the chats as well with friends, my mum and dad. Importantly, I won't be in the position where I am now to be refereeing. So, Matt, how did you get into your uh, refereeing journey then? Sorry, what's that? How did you get into your refereeing journey? It was um, well, when I was playing for Ladybridge, my, my coach at the time was Gary Burke, and his son Nathan, and also I got to know Michael then as well. So. We both pretty much gone through it together, apart from they took the course about six months earlier. And we had a good chat about it. Um, so I started asking, what do you have to do to get into it? And et cetera, et cetera. He said, you just need to do a course. Um, if you want to give, if you want to have a go, give us a shout. We'll contact the County FA. We'll get you, we'll get you signed on to a course. And I thought, yeah, go on then. Let's give it a go. So I did. Got qualified, and at first, um, I'm sure Michael could probably agree. I think it was just more of a bit of pocket money, considering we were still at school slash college. Yeah. Was that similar for you, Mike? And um, when you get in, was it kind of started off as a hobby, and then it's evolved to what it is? Definitely, mate. Um, as I said, when I was, I started at 14, um, and at the time, you know, as a teenager, you know, you, you still want to be a professional footballer. Uh, you still want to go out with your mates. You want to. You want to go and watch Bolton at home and away like Matt did, you know. Uh, so at the time when I first started, it was never, never the intention for it to become what it has been today. Uh, I'd be lying to you all if I said I wasn't doing it for the money at first because, you know, uh, I did four games on a weekend, uh, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and that was £20 a game. So for, an eight, for a 14-year-old lad to get £80 a, a weekend off... Uh, off refereeing, uh, you know, 13, 14 years ago was a lot of money for me. And it put me ahead of 
uh, you know, my mates at the time, you know, because they were doing paper rounds and, and the equivalent. Uh, and at the same time, it was it was keeping me fit. I was being involved in football. Um, didn't feel I was, you know, such a such a good referee. But at the time, as I said, I was just doing it for the money. Uh, refereed in the Bolton and Bury District League, uh, which is a local league uh, in in this area. Um, started off doing the the small seven v sevens and then the nine v nines, and hopefully when the confidence grew a couple of years later, I started doing the eleven v eleven with the offsides. Uh, great foundation and to be honest with you I, I wouldn't have carried on if it wasn't at the time you know the early years uh for me for me local for me close friends and family um you know i think matt touched on that before where you know you need you need that grounding and you need that support and that arm around the shoulder sometimes even at grassroots level um because there is an incident uh not mentioning any teams but there was an incident in a cup final when i was 15 year old where at the end of the game the opposition, just just a, uh, a spectator, came on the pitch at the end of the game uh, with a Staffordshire Bull Terrier threatening to set the dog on me. Um, wow. There was a the police were there, uh, you know, and there was a full a full county FA hearing which took place after that. And if it wasn't for my friends and my family supporting me and getting me through that, I could have easily hung my boots up and think I'm not here to take abuse. I'm not here to to you know to get threatened like that from just trying to do a decent job. Um, so yeah, I mean, it started for me a long time ago and yeah, it was, it was for the money initially, but it, it has grown into something completely different. Yeah. I mean, that, that isn't good to hear. I know there's always, obviously you mentioned the Bolton Barry League. I, I'm involved in that league. You do hear stories of referees being abused and it isn't acceptable in any, any sort of form. And, um, so when you, you kind of started then, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make once you became a referee? Biggest adjustment was commitment, to be honest with you, um, especially up until the age, I'd say, of up to the age of 18, 19. Uh, as I'm sure you all know, you know, the first, the first thing you want to be doing is be on the park with the lads, uh, having, a, having a laugh, uh, having a drink. And I had to straight away sacrifice my nights out on a Friday um, if I wanted to get anywhere. You know, I was one of these, you know, when you're young, you've got to, you feel you've got a liver that, can just take as much alcohol as it can. Uh, you can drink on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you don't have an hangover. Obviously, it's completely different now. Um, <laughs> but at the time, you know, it was town, town, town for me. Uh, and that was a big sacrifice I had to start making to, to completely cut out the Fridays if I wanted to go anywhere. Um, I had to make my friends, my family, my girlfriend at the time aware of the commitment and also the opportunities that it could bring if I had that sacrifice. Um, and also, more than ever, really now, especially is, is no, he's he's training consistently, getting it, doing a program, being healthy, maintaining a balanced diet, um, you know, mental attitude, things like that. There's loads of different things and bounce back ability. Uh, I had to give up my season ticket at Bolton Wanderers, uh, but yeah, commitment really was the main thing, the main adjustment that I had to do. Uh, not the normal teenager life. If you look at a referee in uh, age profile. Uh, you'll have lots of referees from the age of 18 to 16 all over the country because they're probably doing it like me and Matt did to get a bit of money at first. Between the age of 16 to 21, you know, people are going, men and women are going to find partners, they're going to find alcohol, they're going to find university, college and things like that. And you'll see the, the amount of referees age profile-wise dip quite considerably between them ages and then it'll go back up after the age of 21. Um, so to stick through it through them years... Um, was really difficult 
uh, because you get, come on, mate, let's go out, let's have a beer, let's do this, let's do that. And you, you just had to say no and you had to be strong with that. Um, but as I said, that, that five years of experience and sticking through that has, 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 has obviously paid dividends because I'm, I'm where I am now. Brilliant. I mean, I think it's quite some good advice there because people probably just see man, woman in an all-black kit turning up at a pitch 20 minutes before a game and think, oh, they don't do, you know, they're just doing it for a bit of extra pocket money, which you've mentioned. But to go further, there's a lot more commitment involved in being a referee than what um, people actually realise. So it's quite good hearing you say that. How does that work for you, Matt? Did you, were you similar or did you have um, any other adjustments that you had to do when you became a referee? In all honesty, Michael has literally just hit the nail on the head, really, because it's pretty much similar to what it's pretty much similar to what I did. Like you know, we talk about you know your 15s to 18s before you were were illegal to drink. Sometimes when you're in school, GCSEs, the coursework, a lot of it, it's commitment. It's how you balance it out at the same time. So when I first qualified, I never really refereed on Saturdays because I was still playing at the same time on Sundays. Um, Sunday's normally like a bit of catch-up, especially when it's coming to the time of GCSEs, just doing coursework all the time. But there's times where I just needed to get out the house. And what I'd like to normally do on a Sunday is normally have a lie-in till 11 o'clock in the morning. Because sometimes it just feels a Sunday's a normal relaxing day. But um, big one sacrifice was that, go out and do a game and come back and carry on with coursework. But as you get on and on and on, and work with work as well, the balancing act to that, it's... You know, it's pretty much what Michael has just literally gone through and said and described because you go, when you get into your past your 18 and over and the lads want to go out on Friday night and you have to make that sacrifice of going, no, I can't. I've got to go and re- do a game on a Saturday. I've got to go and referee because we want to get higher in that. And, yeah, that, it's pretty much it, really. It's just literally what Michael says. And I totally agree with him. No, brilliant. So we're going to talk about how we can become a successful referee. Um, so obviously we all know with footballers and coaches, there's a lot of um, external and internal people that have affected them and sort of influenced them to become who they are today and become as successful in their sort of area. Um, Mike, who has influenced you in your refereeing career? Um from a young, very, very young age, it was close family at first. My mum and dad, uh, you know, they, they pushed and pushed and pushed. There was times, as I said, where I just wanted to give up. I couldn't be bothered. I was being a little bit of a brat as a young kid, and they kept pushing me, saying, no, keep with it, keep with it. Um, so, uh, you know, also, there's, you don't know already that each region uh, in the country has got uh, county FAs. So me and Matt are currently under Lancashire FA. Uh, so with Lancashire FA, they will, um, as, a, as a young referee, when you first do your, your you know, your, your course, they'll, they'll give you mentors usually. Uh, so someone who can come out and, and see your games, give you hints and tips, pretty much like a, like a coach would really, not an observer or an assessor, but give you some positives and some, some development areas. Uh, and also just be someone on the end of a phone call really. So, um, you know, the Lancashire FA, they have a, what they call a young potential scheme. Uh, which is anyone up to the age of 18 that's highlighted as potentially got a, a, a you know, bright future. Uh, and they invite them to, to monthly meetings uh, where they'll have guest speakers down, such as, you know, Premier League referees, uh, you know, ex-footballers, nutritionists, uh, you name it. And it really does inspire the young lads um, to, 
to think I can get there. Um, even more close-knit, we've got local referee societies. Uh, I'm part of, of Bolton Referee Society. I know Matt was part of that until he moved down south. Um, when I first started, I mean, the, you know, the president of, of Bolton Referee Society at the moment is Lee Mason. Obviously, Lee's a, a Premier League referee. So to have that interaction with him on a monthly meeting and, you know, just having a, if you feel like you've got something that you don't want to really share with everyone else, but you can ask, ask the advice of someone who's got so much wealth and experience in what you want to become, um, you know, and it's usually a group of 20 to 30 referees each month that we meet and we just talk about a particular topic, whether that be how to deal with parents, how to deal with, you know, uh, penalty decisions, just, just different types of, uh, uh, you know, different topics really. And we usually have, again, guest speakers down uh, who will, will give a good insight to their their career and, and, and do like a bit of a Q&A session with us. It really does inspire, especially the younger younger generation. I learned a lot from that as a young lad. I'm now currently the vice chairman of the Board Referee Society now, so got to that age now at 27 where I'm going to start giving a bit back uh, to the young lads that are start, young lads and uh, and girls that are starting to come through, really. Um, you know, at the age of 14 to 16 and think, well, I had that grounding when I was young. Um, I want to give the same back and I feel I'm at a level now where I can start to give a little bit back. I mean, it, the focus up until I say 23, 24 was trying to get to as high as I can be. And then obviously I'm still pushing every, each time, but I'm feeling I'm at an age now where I can start to sacrifice a little bit and give a bit back, especially on a Sunday when I'm usually my rest day, I can hopefully now go out and mentor a few of the younger referees who referee on a Sunday, for example, and give a bit of my time back to them. Um, I've currently got a, uh, a coach at my level at 2B. I'm very, very fortunate to have Anthony Taylor as my coach this year uh, and I could name 10 coaches who I've had over the years who have all been equally fantastic but I'd be here all night but current, currently it's Anthony Taylor uh, obviously his name speaks for itself a FIFA referee uh, UEFA referee absolutely top bloke uh, lives local uh, constantly on the end of a phone call uh, you know if you need him uh, he gives a lot back as well seeing he's an active official so he's still refereeing um, for example, on a, I think it was in October this uh, last year, uh, he came watching me on a Tuesday night at Hereford, which is a good three and a half hour drive away. Uh, he got the train down to meet me at the ground, uh, and then I gave him a lift back home afterwards because he lives uh, lives in Manchester. Uh, but to give up his all of his Tuesday evening, he didn't get back till one o'clock in the morning just to come and watch me watch me referee really and give me you know hints and tips, uh, you know. It, the, the chances of becoming a professional footballer are a lot more slimmer than becoming the chances of being a professional referee. Uh, you know, you've got a lot better chance as a referee to become professional. Uh, and it's, it's never been more than ever now that you can actually make your dreams come reality. Uh, don't get me wrong, you've got to have good fitness. You've got to have the right nutrition. You've got to be strict with things like that. But they're all what I can what I call, call, call controllables, really. If you want to be fit, you can make yourself fit. If you want to eat well, you can make yourself eat well. So much you want it, really. Obviously, you've got to have the things like man management skills and different types of things, but they can develop. But, um, but the, yeah, the, the opportunities are so, so great now. Um, you know, the FA uh, do quarterly meetings with us as well, so we'll all meet in, in usually in Leeds every three months. We'll have our body fat tested. We'll do two fitness uh, tests a year, one in the summer, one in the winter. Uh, weekly training content coming through uh, for, for training plans. 
there's so much time and effort that the FA actually put into us. And it's the, really the point I want to get across is if you wanted enough, you can do it. It's all about how much you put back into it, really. Yeah. Uh, that, from, from sort of our perspective as coaches, like, there'd never be a chance, well, there's, it's very unlikely that we'd get the chance to get mentored and, and have a lot of face-to-face time with a Premier League yeah. standard coach. And the fact that you have that sort of available to you and you've had that experience shows how much sort of um, they're putting into helping you become a, a coach, well, become a, become a referee. Yeah, massively, massively. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be ever so grateful for it. And that's why I know I don't want people who are in my position, you know, when I was 14 to, to not have that. And that's why I, I want to give back now, you know, because I feel yeah. like that age too. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Matt, do you have uh, any pre-match, or what are your pre-match rituals? What would you do before a game? So, if we were going back when I was refereeing on the Boltonbury District Football League, um, I normally turn up at least half an hour before kickoff. You know, introduce myself as the referee to both managers from both sets of teams. Um, check nets, obviously, and there's four four corner flags. Um, little warm up, and then basically by the time all that's already done, it's literally 25 minutes already gone of your time. So you've already set it up, you're ready to go for the game. Um, in terms of how the way it's coming on now, whereas I don't turn up half an hour before kickoff anymore, we have like our own um, protocols that have been given from the FA. So at Contributor League Football, we have to be at a ground 90 minutes before kickoff. Um, but I'm not, I don't, I intend to get there a bit early just because I feel comfortable in myself. You know, to, to keep myself relaxed for when it comes to a game. Like, for example, uh, back in November, I was at FC United. So I know they've got a big attendance. It's a big, it was a big game for them. You know, they get about 1,500 on. So it's a bit of um, a way for me. It's keeping that mentality of just staying relaxed for when the game's coming. So I'll get there two hours before kickoff, drop the kit in, get it all set up, check everything's all there. Um, straight upstairs. Um, meet the secretaries, have a brew with them. Both assistant referees will come in as well, probably a bit later on, normally about quarter past one and all. I always, I always say between quarter past to half past one, you can be there, not a problem at all. Uh, we'll come in, we'll have a chat. We have to quickly get to know each other because sometimes there might, be, there might be assistant referees we've never worked with before. So we've got to try straight away within 90 minutes, try to get our, try to get know each other as best we can and how the way our style of refereeing is. Um, so by quarter to two, I'll be inside delivering my pre-match instructions, which is normally about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, then we get changed straight away before the exchange of team sheets, which has to be 45 minutes before kickoff, according to the competition rules. So, on, like I said, FC United, for an example, um, in the rules, they have to, the, the captain has to be in with the secretary as well as a member from the technical area. So they'll have to come in and deliver team sheets. We have our little chat, which is really short and sweet. Done and dusted. We've got them 15 minutes to prepare ourselves, like write everything in our books, check we've got everything, our kit, you know, our boots is on. And then half past two to about quarter to three, we're out warming up, um, getting to know the pitch, getting to know the length, the width, you know. And obviously dynamic stretches, which we all have to do, which I must 
which you know, as you can tell from the coach's side of you, you've got to do your things to make sure your players are warmed up. So we've got to do literally the same. And by quarter two, between quarter two and um, 53 minutes past, we'll be all prepared, getting the getting ready to get the players out. And by 53, we'll be out, studs, jewellery check, the underguards. Uh, we've got to do all them little things first right inside before walking out to the field of play. And then we'll be going out. Um, the respect and shake, which obviously which is a bit of a struggle to do at this moment in time with the pandemic. Um, but um, that's just what the usual procedure normally is. Assistants have checked the nets, we've come in, the witness the toss, we split out and the game begins. There's quite, it is quite a bit of information to take in. And yeah, if there's an observer on the game, um, he'll, normally come, he'll normally come as well with plenty of time. Um, listen to the pre-match instructions, and then I'll, and then Paul watches the game, does what he has to do. Post-match, he'll be in about half an hour after the game, after when we showered and changed, and we wait a 10, 10 minute chat, done and dusted. Then hopefully be out of the ground for about half past five, quarter to six. Yeah, it's a great insight that really from um, you know from the levels that you're doing and and how it works for us boys as as coaches. Um, over the past couple of years at the standard, the standard we've been at. So, Mike, um, what kind of continuous professional development do you undertake as a referee uh, to help you stay on top of your game? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's really important that we um, continuously monitor. Uh, you know, our, we usually, on at my level at the moment, we, the, the, the county F, oh, sorry, the, the FA try to get at least 50% of my games uh, assessed or observed, as it's called now. Um, so that basically means it's usually an ex-referee or an active referee uh, will come out. Uh, it's always got to be someone who's been at your level, uh, genuinely, or someone who's been above your level, um, who will come out and they will obviously review the game and they'll give you uh, a mark um, at the end of that game. Uh, and there's different competencies. Um, basically, um, you know, it's, it's stuff like, have you, have you controlled the game? Have you kept up with play, uh, have you applied law, so if it's a yellow card, have you give a yellow card, if it's a red, have you give a red, loads of different competencies, 10 competencies, uh, and it creates a mark, and then they have the option to write comments about examples in the game where you've either applied them competencies correctly, or you've, you know, you've not, you've failed to, 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 to apply them, and that creates what we call an assessment. Now, on them assessments, they will give development areas, uh, and one thing I will do continuously is if there's if there's things coming up in my reports which are becoming a pattern, uh, so it's coming up more than two times genuinely, I'll see that then as a uh, as potentially an issue I might need to rectify in future games. One thing that uh, is you've got to be mindful of is it's one man's opinion when it's an assessment. So you might not like one aspect of your game when you're refereeing. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's right or wrong. It's just one man's opinion. But that's why I stress that if it's two or three times and it's coming up, it might generally be something that you actually need to, to rectify. Um, very fortunate as well at, at my level of, uh, of refereeing that uh, we all have access to what we call MOAS, which is basically an online administration system, um, which basically tracks all our, ava our availab availability, so, uh, but also... Every single match that I referee uh, is all recorded 90 minutes plus. 
So there's not just a highlights channel, there's a full 90 minutes recorded. So I can sit and look at that, uh, look back through my game myself, so I can sit on my laptop as I'm doing now and just think, right, how does it look? Am I in the right position? Uh, does my body language look good? What can I do different? So I'm very fortunate at my level to have that facility. Um, level three and downwards, unfortunately, at this moment, don't have that facility. It's something they're trying to open up for, you know, further. Um, but at the moment, it's just very fortunate for me as a 2B to actually have that facility. Women's Super, Women's Super League is slightly different. Uh, Women's Super League is probably even better. They have the same scheme as what the Premier League guys do. So uh, Premier League referees don't actually get assessed or observed. Uh, they get what they call an evaluation, uh, which is basically every single decision that you make throughout a game, whether it's a throw-in, a penalty, a corner kick, whatever it may be, there's the smallest of small decisions, uh, it will be documented on the evaluation system. And there has to be a comment on every single uh, decision that you make uh, on there uh, from an evaluator. Uh, and then you have the chance then to respond to every single comment. It takes hours and hours to do, uh, but it's a great way of really dissecting your performance uh, you know, going forward. And it's, it's something really good. Uh, body fats, fitness tests, so my nutrition and all that type of stuff, I need to continuously keep on top of that, uh, you know, to be the best I can be. As I think more than ever now with the game ever changing, it's getting faster and faster and faster. And if I would be giving any advice to people, the higher you go up refereeing, the faster it is. That's the biggest change. Uh, you know, it gets quicker and you've got to have a quick mind and you've got to be quick on your feet as well, uh, physically. Uh, but yeah, um, without you know your professional development you've you, you know you need you need to be you, you know your worst critic really uh and think how all the time how can i do this better how can i do that better really good stuff mike um so matt quick question well say question more of an opinion i'm after i know mike's just talked a lot there about assessments or observations as they're called in your opinion then does do you think being assessed or observed impacts referees performances the, re the reason I'll give you clarity, the reason I ask is it's kind of you hear a lot, especially around the non-league, when a referee makes a decision or whatever, it's a frequent thing I've heard over the last year, two years of managers shouting, oh, it's only because he's being assessed, it's only because he's being assessed. So do you think it does have an impact on the performance or not? And if it could be a, a, positive, a positive effect as well. Um, sometimes it depends because... When, in my experience, when I was going young from seven to six, from level seven to six and going onwards and above, like my first few assessments at the time, I was a bit like nervous about it. So sometimes I think being nervous could actually impact something on, onto the game. Yeah. You know, um, I don't, I don't want to say no, but I know, admittedly, back in the days, there are times where I think referee, when I was in referee, and I did. I did change a bit, like change a bit in my style, which it comes it comes back and bites you. If I'm honest with you, it doesn't it doesn't always go right. Um, but once you get an observed more and more and more, you just start getting used to it, and your game starts to get you know it starts to get easier for you. So when I'm getting observed now, we always we always like say there's no there's not there's nobody here in the ground. We're just there refereeing a game. So that to us like. You know, that's just how our, way our mentality is now. But I could see, you know, in the non-league now, 
like sometimes again observe like some referees will change their style and sometimes as a coach you might have known this referee you might have come across him a couple of times but you could probably tell that he probably has changed that mode you know because he's, he's had an observer but sometimes it might not be him out because he's had um he's had a bit of a talk with his mentor of how the way he could change something in his game um but no, as you're more, yeah, as you're getting more up the ladder, you get you get observed nearly every game, so you pretty much get used to it now. Yeah, really. It's, inter- it's interesting you saying that. Actually, just thinking out loud, you never actually think. I've probably been guilty of doing what you're saying there, thinking you've had a referee for whatever reason. You don't rate them, then you've got them again, and you're thinking, oh, we've got ex- such and such body again. But actually, in reality, it might be six months, two years down the line, and as players develop and improve, so do referees. So it probably is. People don't probably think about that sort of thing as much as what probably they should do, really, which is quite a good point to point out, really. Yeah. Let's jump on that quickly, Mike. Yeah, go for it, mate. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think as well, one thing that, you know, I I did it, admittedly, especially up until the level of, probably say level four, was you try and, you try and not, not give discipline, so yellows, red cards, for example, because you think you're doing the clubs a favour. Now, the higher you go up, the more them clubs, the players, the fans, they, they actually expect you to, if it's a yellow, to actually deliver it. Um, so don't, all I say to, me, to other people, don't, don't kid yourself out of something. If, you, if it hits you in the gut and it's, you know, it's a yellow card, for example, it doesn't matter if there's someone in the stand, there's you know, 10,000 people there. If it hits you in the gut, deliver it. One thing that I'll always remember is when Kevin Friend mentioned to me, uh, one time, uh, you know, he got to a point where he stagnated for a couple of years at a particular level because he was trying to just uh, change his refereeing when, um, you know, you know when, there were obs- when there was an observer there in the stand. Uh, and he royally wound the clubs up because they could just see that, hang on a minute, we had you three weeks ago and you was letting all this go. And now, you, and now you, you're giving everything and there wasn't a consistency. And it really did bite him. And then when he he, t- he thought he, he saw the bigger picture, thought you know I've got to this level, being you know with the with the qualities that I've currently got. So tweak things, yeah, absolutely, but never change anything so so big. I mean it, yeah, to our level two B, level three. It, it's very very rare that you'll get any referee that says they'll change the behaviour now because of an observer. Lower down grassroots and above county FA level, I'd say it does happen more frequently. I think you're right on that. Um, yeah, brilliant. Um, so, Mike, um, I'll just fire this question out to you. Obviously, I, I know you, you, you've just told us how much you want to push yourself and get as far as you can in your reffing. Um, so we clearly see you're massively ambitious um, in, in your area and in your field. But have you got one goal that you've got in your head of what one thing you want to have, a, a game you want to ref or a level you want to reach yourself? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think when I when I first started, the goal as a kid is yeah, I want to be a Premier League referee. Uh, if you ask anyone, it'll be the same. When you start growing up a bit, uh, when I was eighteen, I'd probably say it was to actually be involved at some at, at some in, in some capacity as a on the football league. Uh, in December last year, I achieved that by being fourth official for Oldham Athletic and Crawley Town. Uh, so that was my football league debut as such. So I've I've succeeded that one, but I'd probably say the ultimate would be to be an active 
referee in the middle on the football league, uh, at least League One and Two. That's me. That's my main goal now, I'd say, which currently it's two levels away, two levels away, so potentially in best case scenario, two seasons away from it. Um, you know, it, what I would say though is that, you know, I, I do it like you guys do coaching. I do it because I enjoy football. I enjoy doing what I do. The moment I stop enjoying it is probably the moment where I think enough's enough. Uh, you know, um, I love, I, I, I it's got to be small but realistic steps, really. Uh, there's no point saying I'm going to be on FIFA list in the next five years. It's not going to happen. You know, you've just you've just got to be small, realistic steps. And if you get the excellent, let's make a new small step. But for me, the current ambition and the long-term ambition, hopefully, is to be an active referee on the Football League. And, you know, there is, there is scope at the moment with the Premier League being full-time, the Championship's full-time referees now. And there's hopefully looking at League One and Two in the not too distant future becoming full time. So there's real opportunity there for for me and my at our age and others to think right. This could actually be my job in the Free, future. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, same to you, Matt. Um, what's one sort of ambition or one sort of aim you've got um, or a goal you've got to reach? Um, I tell I'd like to say I'd take it at a time, but the main goal I want to get is to the Premier League, and it's similar to what Michael's just said. Like, there's, you know, every league, every every level you're at, there's going to always be like a merit table. So it's like a league of referees, and you'll take a certain amount of number from from the, from the whole national of England. Um, but for me per, personally, my target is to get to the Premier League. However, I know it's still a bit of a long journey yet. It's going to take years. Still going to take more development, more learning. Um, but, um, yeah, that's the main target. But it's just taking every level at a time. And hopefully it'll just come It'll, it'll just come together one day and it might just come right. You know, it's like at the minute, I've gained experience running the line on the um, on the National League and the Premier League too, where the referee is two levels higher than me. And these are people I can learn off to take onto my games at my level when I'm refereeing for it to start building up and up. So the experience on the National League and classing as the professional game is just a fantastic experience. Um, obviously, the ambition, I'd love to get to Michael's position, at least get a get a game on the Football League and I want to be saying I've maybe debuted, then, you know, that's pretty much a tick of the box already, like saying you fulfilled the bucket list nearly a little bit. But um, the ambition is to be higher than that, similar to Mike. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. So, um, Matt, just very quickly, just it's more of, again, opinion-based, so just give us 30 seconds. If you could change one rule in football, what would it be and why? Oh, stock tape and underguards. <laughs> in terms if of what? Per- get um, rid of them? I want to say, get no, not get rid of them, because every player is entitled to wearing underguards. Simple as that. We wear them, we wear them all the time. However... Um, sometimes the kits you get, sometimes the teams can actually not get the same coloured underguards because they don't sell them. Um, yeah. And the, I feel sorry for a lot of the non-league and the grassroots teams because sometimes not these clubs can afford them. Um, but for me personally, I'd probably change the law a bit. I'd be saying, look, under shorts and the sock tape, black, colour black or the same colour, full stop. That's what it'd probably be for me, and it'd probably make life easier when it comes to the studs and jewellery check as well. Yeah, um, as I know, we've seen this year players that have um, been 
players who play for us that have been told they've had to take an undergarment off in, in the middle of December because it's freezing, it doesn't match the colour and our, our kit was short sleeves and it creates yeah. grief before you go onto the pitch, doesn't it? Uh, it, isn't, it isn't and I also, I definitely agree and sometimes you just, we don't want it as referees and we know from players and coaches you guys don't need it either. Yeah, I completely, it's a, it's a good one that. Um, Mike, how about you? Which Which one would you... Any rule, what rule would you change? If you... I, I fully support what Matt said. I think just going off what you've just said there, Mike, in terms of, you know, we're both on the same page with this. Us referees don't want to cause that rift before a game with players. And I think it's how you approach it, you know, in terms of, you know, it's, it's not me that's making you do this. It's the law, unfortunately. It's the way you, it's the way you speak to players about it, really. But, you know, I fully support Matt's view on it. It, it, it causes a rift between us and players straight away. And it could be something that an assessor puts in a report to say you've not you've not dealt with the undergarments and it could prevent you from being promoted just over a bit of sock tape, basically. It's just and petty, isn't it, really, when you talk about it? If you're mm. a game of football and there's a bit of sock tape gone wrong, come on. Well, that's my own opinion. But also, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably say, the other one I'd probably say is, do you remember a couple of years ago when they changed it about the um, assistant referee signalling for a penalty? Where... There was a flag, they flagged, and then they put the flag across the chest to indicate if they was leading on the decision to give a penalty. Yeah. That's what they always used to do. And now, for some reason, I still can't get it in my head, Mike, you, Matt, you might be able to answer me on this one, but when they're giving the decision, they'll flag it, and then they'll just run to the goal line. And I just think it looks a bit bizarre, and I just... I'll share... I'll, there's a video about, uh, you know, a, a referee at Peterborough, uh, an assistant that... It was, the, it was the week after it had actually been implemented, this law change, and he didn't know where to put his flag because he was leading the decision. It went a bit across his chest, then he pointed at the corner flag, and then he put it above his head. He didn't know what to do, and I just think, something like that, I, I don't know. I, I just I just, I just generally didn't think there was anything wrong with just giving the penalty and putting it across your chest. Well, that, there you go. That's something dead mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt. Um... Why do you think there's a negative perception from coaches to like referees? Sometimes um, the coach might remember the referee for one uh, for one game, and it might not just be like the referees have not had the best game, but he could have made one decision that's kind of cost his team. Like they're probably winning to the last minute, and then they've ended up with a draw because of one decision or a defeat. God forbid that happens. Or it could be the one decision that you, in your opinion, it could be a clear sending off. And for most, it might have been, um, we might have just made a human error. Um, but I'd like to say sometimes, I think, I think, if, I believe when you're first meeting a manager, the first thing that always starts from is your presence. Like as soon as you first see the referee or a coach, I think straight away you, you kind of ask yourself, right. Coach, manager, oh yeah, I'm Matt, and I'm Matt, I'm the referee for today's game. Sometimes, like doing a little thing like that, could already start getting a coach to work with you and start to be on your side. Where sometimes, admittingly, when I was um, when I was young, I used to be really shy. I couldn't really go over and shake my hand. I'll be like, shake someone's hand and be like, yeah, uh, I'm Matt, the referee. I used to be very, very shy, but um, a lot of it, I think, a lot of it now. I think it's just first. It's I just hit it there. First locks when you first see, and it's the sometimes you look at a referee. You look at you look at his body language. Does he look confident? His presence is he 
is he quite a skinny lad? Does he look like a lad with full fitness, or does he just look like a lad who who just likes to run around the centre circle most of the time? Most important is the personality of the referee. So when you first get to know the referee, you kind of and a coach, you're getting to know what kind of um, you know, just what they like. And then after the game, if it's all gone well, um, they're not talk. We always used to say if you've come off a game and nobody's not talking about you, then you've had a good day in the office. And it's always nice, like, you know, 99.9% of the time we're coming off, a, I'm coming off a game and it's just nice to be sat down having a beer, sitting down with a coach and a manager, just having a chat, just having a general chat. Uh, that's how it regards I just with the game or it could just be something outside of football and straight away you're building that relationship with the coach. So then hopefully the next time when we go back, the remember we want we want to come back with being remembered for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. Interesting. So first impressions make a big difference then. Uh, what about yourself, Mike? Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I've, I support the first impressions completely from Matt. I think he goes a long a long way. Um, one one thing I find difficult in this aspect is. Uh, sometimes what people see on on the TV at the highest level of the game um, will filter down to non-league grassroots level. So, for example, if there is a particular player that's abusing or swearing at a, a, a match official, you can clearly see it live on the telly box. Uh, is there an accept? Is it then acceptable for that to be filtered into our level of football and and lower? Uh, obviously the answer is no but I feel it's got to be dealt with at the top is there more work to be done yeah I completely think there is um, look don't get me wrong uh, you know coaches there's a massive amount of pressure on them uh, you know at the end of the day they don't want to lose the job uh, you know and you know they you know they might be desperate for that first that next couple of points to win the championship to stay up or whatever and the easy the, the easy cop out is to blame it on the official um, uh, and you know because it's that isolated person on that day uh, I think the media have got a bit of part to play in it as well because again at the top they'll interview someone five ten minutes after a game a manager ask them about refereeing decisions they've not actually had a chance to review the footage themselves they've not had a chance to calm down they're still irate they're still upset uh, and clearly there's going to be bad press about about match officials um, Again, match of the day. Sign of something that's kind of a bit of a, a bad egg that's in the in the game for me personally at the moment. Um, again, the money side of it as well. Obviously, there's there's a lot of hell of a lot of money at stake for some clubs. Uh, so obviously, you know, the coach will feel that pressure at, point, at some at some points. But I think you you've just I don't think we'll ever be in a position where we'll be the same as what it, you know the respects uh, in rugby. I do firmly believe, though, uh, defending coaches, that there's a lot of officials out there who uh, are not approachable. Uh, they won't speak to you. Um, and I think that that is setting a bad precedence because, you know, if, it, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if I'm a firm believer, if you want to, got to treat someone out there, you want to be treated at the end of the day. If I'm nice and friendly with someone, I kind of expect it back. And if a coach is aggressive and abusive to me, I ain't particularly going to be their best mate for 90 minutes and try and keep them on side. Um, you know, so I think, I think yeah, there's emotion there, of course there is, uh, from both sides, but I think it's seeing the bigger picture from, 
from a coach and a refereeing perspective that we're all in it because, right as I said at the beginning, we love football. Um, you know, we all love football. We're all in it. The same sport, doing different types of jobs. Um, so, as long as we keep, you know, as long as you, as I said with Matt, there's no better feeling than what Matt said at the end of the game of, you know, speaking just to a manager, just about anything. And I'll even speak to Gaffer at end and go, what do you reckon about today? Is there anything would you would you change about me going forward in terms of how I've approached it, how I've refereed it, and just get a bit of honest feedback from a coach, um, you know, because it makes them feel like they've got a bit of a say as well. And it's just being friendly and open with them. Um, but there's a long way to go with it, really. Yeah, agree. No, I, I definitely agree with uh, some of the points you're saying there. You know, especially the coaches. I think coaches, if you're if you're a player and your your manager. Uh, is making it very clear that you know he, he wants you to be respectful towards the referee, as opposed to a manager you know who's totally against referees. I think it I think it does set the the tone there. Um, so just going back to you, Mike, um, is there any difference between officiating in the men's and women's league, and is there any uh, difference in the coach's behaviour between the two leagues? Ooh, good one, good one. Uh, <laughs> The, mean, uh, the biggest difference in between the men and the women for me at the moment is when I'm officiating on the Women's Super League, uh, it's the top flight of that of the women's game. So, as you know, they're trying their best to, to get the media coverage out there and publicise the women's game. Rightfully so. You know, the crowds are getting bit bigger, you know, etc. Uh, and it's really good when you walk out with that match ball and you're refereeing Man United versus Man City women, like I did this year in the FA Cup, um, you know, live on live on BBC. Um, you know, the the media and the the actual match day experience is is a lot greater uh, at the moment on the women's game at my level uh, than on the National League North. Um, in terms of the behaviour of uh, of coaches and management, mixed bag really, as it is on the National League North. Um, you've got some worse than others you've got some who will speak to you some who won't um, but one person I must shout out to on the women's game is um, is oh god I've even forgotten and the Brighton manager yeah, look it up the Brighton and of Albion that's the one Hope yeah the ex-England manager absolutely fantastic person I was fourth official for, for Brighton um, last year and they, they were excellent you know she the way she approached officials and respected us and if there was a question to be asked about a decision, she'd just ask it in the right way. And, I've, you know, and, there's, and there's, there's, obviously there's, there's, there's managers in the National League who do the exact same. Not really much difference, I'd say, in, in the, uh, the behaviour from the, from the coaches at that. Um, but no, I'd say the biggest difference in the women and the men's game is just the, the, the media coverage, really. Brilliant. Um, so next question then, um, Matt, we'll start with you. Um, why do some linesmen refuse to uh, why do some linesmen refuse to communicate with the dugouts? The referees decide what linesmen can and cannot do. And the basis for asking this question is because I've had this year a linesman say to me they can't do something because the referee had told them not to do it and I didn't realise that was a thing what happened. So I'm just curious more than anything. Is that a thing? The refs tell linesmen what they can and can't do? I'll be honest, it'll come down, this is why we talk about pre-match instructions, that there'll be a, it's like a hidden time for the coaches, that coaches will barely know about of when it'll happen. So a referee will deliver an instruction in terms of in terms of the technical area, but 
I think if he's been told that he can't talk to you, I think that's a bit loose. I think from both mine and Mark's point of view, is a bit ludicrous, really, because I think you got you need to talk to your technical area. You need to tell them. You need to tell them because no matter no matter what, you might you'll see a you'll see something you'll potentially think is a foul. And the thing is, the assistant referee's got the same angle as you, so he's going to agree with you. But the referee might see something different, so he's got to. I do believe that they should give they, they should give you at least an explanation. It might not be the answer you want to hear, but at least he's given you an honest answer of what he can from what he's seen. Whereas then you, at half time or full time, you could then question the referee and just ask what have you seen because it might have been something different from a different angle. Um, yeah. But I do I do in my experience I know. You know, there is some assistant referees up there who just don't want to speak to technical areas. I don't know what the reason why is about it, but um, yeah, unfortunately for some coaches, you you might just end up coming across them, and it's just like it's like it's like what we said. You know, when you come off a game and you know you got something bad against this assistant referee, the referee, you're gonna remember him, aren't you? Really. Yeah. And, yeah. So when you see the face again, you're like, and straight away you're putting a, you're putting something in yourself, and you think, oh, it's him again. Here we go. Yeah, I think what's it. what's interesting from listening to you both throughout the podcast so far is how um, communication, how much of a big key that is for referees. And I think I've always said this when I do MFA tutoring, because I think referees get blamed too easily, and I think that comes from what you were saying before in the media. When a Premier League side doesn't do well, it's the referee's fault. But I'm not having any of those coaches go into the change room and say, oh, don't worry, lads, you played really well today, but the ref was out to get us. Because when you don't get the communication, that probably breaks these barriers down, isn't it? So it is really, really good to hear you both say that. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally agree. I, I think, as Matt said, it's each, each, each uh, you know, match official's different. They've got their own personalities, but... Just from a personal perspective, as, as Matt said, I'd, I'd be very, very disappointed if assistants on my game wouldn't communicate with coaches because at the end of the day, I'm the leader of that team on that day. I'm the gaffer in charge in the middle and it reflects by, bad on me and my team if they're not communicating in the way that I'd like them to. Uh, but unfortunately, you're going to get people uh, who just won't speak to you and I don't agree with it, but that's, that's one of them things, I guess. I don't agree with it either, um, but unfortunately, you know, we're, we're both guilty of it. We've both had an assistant, we've both had an assistant referee who's been like that, and sometimes it's just nothing you can do. And sometimes you just got, the only way you're just going to try and help yourself out, really, is like for us to, having to come to you. And I've even, have, after one game once, I've had to, I've had to go in to a change room and apologise to the to the manager and the whole of the team on my assistant referee's behaviour. So. Is quite. These are things that are extraordinary things that happen. Yeah. But not I mean, really happen. Just, would you chat about that though in the dressing room? Good question. Your personal dressing room. Would you chat about like? Would you call a linesman out, or would you say, you know, I think you could improve by doing this? Uh, you know, is that something you can do? It's just a thing. I think that's again. It's it's knowing that assistant referee. So when we see the list and we know who's on the line, we know which person it is. But sometimes. Due to their experience, we might not have a choice. We might have to just to put them as an AR1 or a senior referee. 
but we always ask him in our pre-match, make sure you talk. So make sure you talk to him, give him an answer. No matter what, you can't bail yourself out where you are because you've got the same viewing angle as what the technical area has. So what I'd say is just be honest with them. And if they want to question me, they can come and question me at half-time or full-time. But sometimes, like, because an assistant referee's had pre-match instructions so many times, it could just go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, I think what Matt said is there about the assistant referee one and assistant referee two is basically what we see is, is that we call them a senior assistant. So the senior assistant will be on the dugouts and the junior assistant in brackets would go on the, the far side, out the way, eyes and ears job. Um, and it's knowing really, as Matt said, if you know a particular assistant who might cause you some issues on a Saturday afternoon, He's thinking, how am I going to get this person on the far side and think, let's give the other person an opportunity to be assistant one and get their interpersonal skills with the coaches instead of, you know, setting yourself up to fail because you know that particular person on that, uh, you know, who's going to be working with you will not deliver a job that you want them to. Interesting. Uh, is there any research done on like, the managers or coaches like when you're assigned to games like beforehand? Um, yeah. I think the teams as a whole, to be honest, mate, uh, I think, you know, one thing I've, especially the last couple of years, I've started to do is research the teams, research any rivalries between the teams, form guide, um, any history between the clubs, have there, is there any, is there any uh, you know, bad taste in the mouth, is there any troublesome players, you know, of course, you know, there's, there's some coaches and managers who are known at particular levels for being more, uh, excitable, should we say, uh, and more difficult to to manage and referee. Um, I think off off air we could name ten each. Matt on that one, easy, couldn't we? Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, naturally, you know, you, you want it. You, you, you constantly, I, you know, we get our games. Fortunately, uh, a month in advance at our level, me and Matt, so we know where we're going. If say it's on the first of May, we'll know where we're going on the thirtieth of May. Uh, so we can do our research nice and early um, and yeah you know news travels you know as, as coaches will talk players will talk referees talk you know they'll talk about experiences with certain teams and managers and coaches and players but I think the key message that we need to drill is to not prejudge that game uh, you know the, the, the classic example was uh, you know uh, play, uh, the, the Kevin Davis type player uh, of old would potentially be penalised uh, for certain, you know, body contact, or we'd be given given free kicks uh, cheaply, as some people would put it. But it's not to actually prejudge that behaviour. Think, no, it might not occur in this game of football. We've got to, you know, we, we've got to, you know, referee what's put out in front of us. Uh, you know, that coach that you've had bad 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 news about in the weeks leading up to the game could be good as gold in that ninety minutes. If you're prejudging that person you're waiting for a little trip wire to go and then you go in dealing with that person when the week before you probably wouldn't even batted an eyelid. Uh, so I just think you've got to have everyone on an even playing field, but be just consciously aware of potentially any previous, any previous behaviour really. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would, that's what one thing that I was thinking of is obviously you have, you've got charts for, uh, what teams who scored for what team and, um, Who's done how many assists? But like, obviously, there'll be also be stuff for how many reds and how many yellows teams will have. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. I mean, 
as you said, uh, you know, we love fussy, so we're going to be a bit geeky in terms of our stats. I mean, I'm a stat country, me, I can't help it. Every, every, uh, every week, non-league, non-league papers bought, and I'm looking at attendances and all that type of stuff. I love it. And, you know, I'm sure that everyone's the same. You know, you know, you know, to some degree. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's always going to be a bit of stat crunching, always. Um, Matt, what do you think about the um, the sin bin rule? Because obviously, with for us, it came in and then um, then disappeared just as quickly as it as it sort of got got put in. Uh, what did you think about it? What was what was your opinion on it? Was it? I good? think before you before yeah. you do that, it's probably worth clarifying for people listening that it was just in our league that it went because we had national league sides in our league. It was still a rule for the season in other leagues. It was just yeah. our league. That yeah. yeah, it was only from the step five leagues in the law. Yeah. So, Simbin. But in terms of Simbins, in my experience, I've actually not had a Simbin. I've had, I've had four games this season that does involve the Simbin, but I've actually not used it on a player. But I think it's a good thing because... At the same time, it's probably it's probably saving a player some money, really. That sometimes, especially at the grassroots level now, for the junior level, you're saving money by just you know sending them off for ten minutes to calm down. So yeah, I think in a way it's it's beneficial. But I think at first, when the season started, when it came in, I think it took a bit of getting used to for some teams because obviously they're down to ten men for ten minutes, and then they're thinking they've lost a man. Is this going to make a massive impact on the game? But um, no, I haven't really got much to say on Simmons apart from yeah, I'm with it in terms of grass. I'm into I'm in I'm with it in terms of grassroots level because I think it yeah. is really beneficial, especially now at the junior level because it'll make them learn a lot quicker what what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, I think I mean I've seen it once or twice this year, but I think it, it's good. It's a good deterrent, isn't it? Because I know with our side that we we did. We've said if you get Simbin, you ain't going back on because you should have your standards set in place. But I think what it does is, is it like you said, it allows players to have that cooling off period. But I wouldn't want to be that player, or if any of our players ever say went off for ten minutes for Simbin and that caused us losing the game, I wouldn't want to be that player walking into the change room because you won't have to do anything as a coach because the players would just end up you know, dealing with it for you. So it, it's been interesting, but it'll be interesting to see if it ever goes up the leagues as it as it carries on over the next few seasons. Yeah, definitely. But as from a coach's point of view, how do you guys find the sim bins? Um, it's bouncing it back to us. I mean, it's like I've I said, I've seen, <laughs> I've, I've seen it happen once. As in, I've seen it happen this season in, in a game where it was a college game where a lad got sim bin. And then it actually had a negative effect on the team. And within 10 minutes, they had two more lads in bin. When in reality, we don't actually know what he got sin bin for because it happened on the other side of the pitch. But that particular team self-imploded. But, um, yeah, it, it's there as, as a deterrent. I think we, we've said at the start of the season when it was a thing, saying you won't get sin bin. If you get sin bin, you aren't going back on. What do you reckon about that, Rippers? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think that... Um... If you again going back to what we said a bit earlier, that if Mikey's setting the the tone there of in the changing room saying you know you, you're not going to go back on, I don't think uh, I can't remember it, us having that having that issue, and I no. think that that is because of that. Um, whereas I think that other teams they, they they get away with it and 
the managers, you know, they, they just follow suit. Um, end of the day, the coach on the sidelines, the, the leader, the leader of the team, um, and and I think that counts for a lot. So yeah, I, I definitely, um, I definitely think that it's it's decent, but you've got to you've got to really, you know, manage it um, before you even go out on the pitch. I'd say. Um, going going on to the next question, then, uh, Mike. Yeah. Does does um, the minute of the game for you um, uh, affect when you dish out a yellow card? So, like, obviously, you see, you see, um, you see a chat from a coach's point of view or a player's point of view, and they say, "Oh, just just give him one, give him one at first five minutes. You'll get away with it." Does, does the minute of the game affect when you dish out a yellow for you? Uh, if you asked me that question five years ago, yes, maybe. Um, more experienced I've got, no. Um, you know, it's drilled into us at every single meeting. Be consistent. That's what the that's what the game expects. That's what the fans expect. The players, the coaches expect consistency from us. What's a penalty in the first minute is a penalty in the 90th. What's a red in the first minute is a red in the 90th. You've got to take that approach, and I'd, I'd advise that to every single referee out there that's potentially listening to this. Um, because otherwise, it's just you're going to get a rod up your own back, really, with it. Because, uh, as I said, it, you know, consistency is the main gripe I think that that coaches have. Because uh, one week, you might potentially get someone who, as you says, it says Aaron, uh, you know, just um, you know, in the first 15 minutes, doesn't give any discipline or any action, and then uh, and then starts dishing them out, and then the next week they'll they'll actually deal with it. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've got to make sure it doesn't uh, impact on is the referee's match control. Um, one of the key indicators for us for any game is to keep control of a, a footy field. And if by me not yellow or sending someone off is going to impact on my ability to referee the rest of that game, uh, then I'm and I'm kidding myself out of somewhere. It's the wrong thing to do. Um, so yeah, I think if if we're being consistent and we're pl- keeping that match control at all times, then that's that's the most important. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Um, so la- last question then, and um, feel free to both of you just to jump in on this. But I actually had a rant about this on an early episode of the podcast because my opinion is it isn't fair. But is it fair? Obviously, this season is going to be known as a season that never was for most of us, unless you're in the Premier League and they've got to play the games because otherwise they've got all these contracts and everything, but that's a different discussion altogether. But is it fair that referees have been promoted this year, but teams haven't, and we've just, and teams and coaches' seasons have been null and void, but it's counted with referees? Is that fair, in your opinion? From just 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 jumping in quick first there, I think you're going to get uh, views from officials very very similar to what you're getting with clubs at the moment. I mean, I read today that. Tranmere are completely against, you know, they want to scrap relegation from League One because clearly they're in a position at the moment where they're looking at being relegated to League Two. Uh, I think if you, if you ask a referee at my level or, or, or Scorsese's level uh, who's in the same position where they're looking at getting uh, demoted, uh, of course they'll, they'll, they'll say it's not fair. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say it's not fair on... Um, you know, on them because they've not had the chance to rectify the position that they're in and referee till May. Uh, very similar on a person that, that just misses out on promotion. Uh, you know, I'd, I don't have no idea at the moment whether, whether 
I'm going to be promoted to the next level or not. And I know Matt doesn't, but I think, you know, we're supposed to hear the news in the next couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, if I'm two or three places off being promoted uh, as, a, as an official, am I going to turn around and say, well, it's, it's not fair that, um, that I've not I've been, had the chance for over the next two, three months to, 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 to solidify my face and get into a promotion place? Being honest, no, because at the end of the day, I've refereed up until, I think my last game was on the 5th of March on a Tuesday night. Um, I've refereed up this season up until that point, and I don't personally think this, there is any any issue with stopping the uh, the merit table as it is now. Um, I know it's a very sore subject, and a lot of people have different opinions on it, and I'm completely open to that, and I totally understand people's opinions on it. Um, but we've all been refereeing to the best of our abilities, or well, we should have been doing up until this point. Um, so wherever you're at the moment should just be a realistic figure. Uh, if it means I'm a couple of places off being promoted, so be it. Uh, I just think you've just got to be positive about it, really, and just think, right, it makes, let's make sure it's even stronger this year. This is a very unique you know, situation that we're in, obviously. It's never happened in 100 years, has it, at least, I'd probably say a pandemic like this. So, you know, it's very unlikely that something like this is going to happen again in our lifetimes. It's unprecedented times, as everyone keeps saying on the media. So I think it's, it's a, we've just got to part the bus with it, really, and move on. But I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Matt. Um, to be honest, I never really thought of it until Michael has just asked the question now. We're really on thought of it, and I'm actually I'm a bit all over the place. Um, but, you know, Mike, I completely agree with what you said. But um, it's like you said, it's like the teams that are in trouble as well. Like when the Premier League wants to start, you got like Watford. Where three out of the six players who've been tested positive for COVID nineteen, they're saying they don't want they can't play now because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But and then obviously with the Trump with the Trammy Rovers situation, um, again I think I'm not sure to be honest. If, I'm not really sure. Um but I think I do think average points I could agree with that, but we're just voiding a season when it's only about seven to six games left. I think it's just a bit, you know, it's like it's like what Michael says, putting the nail the nail on the head is. I think the issue the we've got this is not meant to happen. Yeah, I think the issue we've got is each country is doing different things. There's been no consistency across Europe. Uh, if the governing body, UEFA or whatever, all sat down and all the countries sat down and said, right, this is what it is. Let's be consistent across the board. I think that would be a lot better. Um, you know, every single league, even, you know, for example, the English leagues are all split up. The Premier League are trying their best to, to continue playing. Uh, you know, clearly, I think money's going to clearly be a factor in that. Uh, you know, Championship are trying their best to keep going. But then you've got the National League who've hit the nail on the head and below. Uh, I just think there's, again, like I caused it, he's got to be consistent across the board. And I think that's why you're just opening up a can of worms because people are going to have opinions on the clubs they support and say, well, hang on a minute. Why is top? Why is the why is the top dogs carrying on and we're not? You know what I mean? I think I think there's there's no consistency. Quick fire. Okay, so we're back with the quick fire round. Um, because we've got two special guests on today, we're going to do a double quick fire round. So I've got two sets of questions, um, and Mike has agreed to do the set of questions. The first set of questions. Um, so I'll just give you a quick example of what kind of question it would be. Um, it would be Bolton or Burton. 
Bolton. Bolton, as easy as that. Um, Happy days. All right, off we go. Um, Kalina or Zidane? Kalina. <laughs> be a cricket umpire or be a tennis umpire? Tennis. Referee in the Champions League final or a World Cup final? Ooh. Now we're talking. I go World Cup final. VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Controversial. Chips and curry or chips and gravy? Chips and curry. Mike Bassett or Damned United? Damned United. Clattenburg or Battenberg? <laughs> <laughs> Clattenburg. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> be a linesman or be a fourth official? I know, every day of the week. Take your time or get your cards straight out? Take your time. Bacon or sausages? Sausages. Pep or clop? Clop. Ref in England or ref abroad? Ref abroad, I want the weather. <laughs> Done it up. Um, ketchup or mayo? Ketchup. Deal with angry players or angry coaches? Deal with angry, angry players. And finally, on the pitch or on the beach? On a pitch, on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. Sitting on the fence, sir. Well done. Cheers, Mike. Um, right, Matt, you're on to the second group of questions. Um, and obviously, you've seen how it works, so you should be able to smash that like Mike did. Um, yeah. Give a penalty in a cup final or give a red card in a cup final? Steve Bruce or Tony Pulis? Sorry, say that again. Steve Bruce or Tony Pulis? Steve Bruce. Bourbons or custard creams? Custard creams. VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Same again, controversial. Ref in England or ref abroad? Oh, I'll be staying in England. Katie Hopkins or Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. Steak or chicken? Steak. Mike Dean or Mr Bean? <laughs> Get in. Oh, love that one, but I'll stick with Mike Dean. Deal with angry players or angry coaches? Angry players. Goal or bend it like Beckham? Goal. America, be an American football ref or be a rugby ref? Be a rugby ref. Play in the Championship or ref in the Premier League? Ref in the Premier League. Fried egg or poached egg? Fried egg. The Liverpool-Sunderland beach ball incident. Goal or no goal? No goal. On the pitch or on the beach? Um... Same as Mike, on the pitch, but on the beach. Fantastic. Cheers, boys. <laughs> Alan, how you think of some of them questions? I'll never know to this. <laughs> we don't have a clue what these questions are going to be. Anthony so. Hopkins or Katie Hopkins. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'll never think of that one. That one blew my mind, man. <laughs> oh, no, good stuff, gents. Some people like her. <laughs> yeah, not many though. Uh, no, good stuff there, gents. I think obviously before we 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 wrap this wrap it up, so obviously I'd like to thank you both for coming on. It's been very very insightful um, for definitely for us for so people listening. It's I think it's very rare you hear referees come on to things like this, so it's been nice to hear what your views and your thoughts and stuff. And actually, 
probably show people that referees are just normal football loving people like the rest of us as well. So really thank you for your time, yeah, guys. Yeah. No, just just from from my perspective, guys. Obviously, I know you've just uh, you know you're all you know key young coaches and you've had a lot of success at, at Padium. Uh, just wish you all the very very best at Cliverow and well deserved on your appointment. So good luck. Yeah, likewise myself. I mean, you know, all the best to you guys at Cliverow. Thank you for having me on. I fully enjoyed it. It's been a really, it's been a really good laugh, and it's also good from our side as well to learn from a coach's perspective as well. So there's always that bit of one percent somewhere that we can always take as well. So no, fully enjoyed it. Thanks very much, fellas. Wash your hands. Welcome back to wash your hands. Are we in another week, boys? Yeah. Are yeah. we in this week? Yes. Are we sure about yeah. that, William? I am prepared this week. Well, All right, then, well you, you, you can kick us off then, mate. <laughs> right. So, right. Right, guys. Right, guys. Right, guys. So, stop watching the ready. I'm going to try not to say the word right. Here we go. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, just do it. Don't edit that bit out. Don't edit that bit out. I can't not say it. It's so hard not to. That's fine. You just say it, mate. <laughs> Right, so I'm washing my hands this week with people who feel they're entitled to anything. So, you say, uh, from a football perspective, you get players messaging saying, oh, I played for Chelsea under sixes and I, and I went on to play for, for Fulham's under 13s. Uh, broke my leg, but now I feel like I can just walk straight into your squad. No, mate, you, you train like the rest of them. And from another perspective, when people feel they're entitled uh, in their big fancy cars on the road, they think they own the road, pushing people out of the way. I had an incident the other day, it was yesterday actually, driving down a road, a guy was pulling in to the left, I thought he was just going down that road, no indication or anything, so I squeezed behind him because it was pretty much like a one-way road, and he holds his horn down and starts shouting abuse at me from his big... Range Rover, Velar, no offence to anyone who's got one of them. And then, <laughs> and then continued to hurl abuse me. I was like, why are you shouting at me? He said he'd reverse on the drive. And I just thought he was entitled to his car and <laughs> how posh he was. <laughs> That's what I'm watching my hands with this week. Well, no, I'm anybody. You, you just told the story. Then. <laughs> I probably went off one there. It's like American Pie. It's one time in my car. The guy was Definitely getting zero <laughs> balls this weekend. <laughs> what I kept thinking was in my head was the word right. Right. I know what I'm doing. I'll wash my hands with next week. Mikey, you're up second. Are you ready? Yeah, this is probably going to be the, the least um, ranty one I've ever ever done I think I'm sure I'm you quite... still buy your uh, I'm sure I'm sure you will still buy your votes on it though mate I don't yeah. buy votes I, I generally don't think this will be worth voting for either armor technology um yeah let me get my um me stopwatch right I'm doing well now right <laughs> 
So I'm washing my hands this week of people who moan about the weather. Today has been lovely. We're recording this on Wednesday. It's been 27 degrees outside my house. And I have seen people on social media moaning that it's too hot. Why? Just why? Enjoy it. Have a drink. Get, you know, get a nice drink by your side. Sit outside. Enjoy the time because you're not going to go abroad this year. This is the hottest weather you're going to experience. So enjoy it. Just, just don't moan. Same people moaning winter when it's cold. Oh, it's a little cold, you know. Well, winter's cold. Summer's hot. We don't normally get a good hot summer. So it's even though it's May, it's been a lovely day. Don't moan about it. So I'm washing my hands with you. You know, people that moan about when it's too hot, when it's nice. That's what I'm washing my hands off. I'm third up, boys. And I, this week, I'm washing my hands with the Troy Deeney haters. Troy Deeney meanies. Yeah, or as Alan likes to call the <laughs> Deeney meanies. Uh, yeah, so, listen, I, I personally think that Troy Deeney has a total right to, to his own opinion. If at the end of the day he doesn't want to go back to training and he will suffer the consequences for that, i.e. wage cuts, not being paid, etc., etc., then that is totally his prerogative. Um, he's already made it loud and clear how how uh, the reasons for him not going back to, to training. And then it turns, uh, turns out today that players from his football club uh, that he's the captain of, you know, are testing positive for it. So I think, you know, to say, oh, you're on this much a week, um, you should be going and doing that. If I was in your position, I'd be doing that. I think it's totally out of order. He's um, He's got a right to his own opinion. And, yeah, Troy Deeney, fair play to you for coming out. And uh, I fully support you. Come on, Alan, let's finish finish the podcast off with you, Gordon, please. Okey-dokey. Okey-dokey. So um, I'm just going to do it nice and easy because I think we've got a bit too political in the last few weeks so I feel like I'm just going to be nice and simple everyone's going to support this because I think it's uh, I think it's a nice easy simple one to finish off with um, so I'm washing my hands today of um, companies especially um, your big delivering of many gifts and goods companies um, upping the prices of standard stuff just because they know people don't want to leave their houses and would rather get things delivered in. I'm not going to name any names. Amazon. Um, when you look <laughs> on it and you see bags of crisps for like 20 quid, toothpaste costing £17.40, and all your sort of standard things that, yes, yeah, some people might not want to run out. Run out. They might want to get it from on next day delivery or something, but it's costing them double, triple, quadruple the price just because they want to get it from a company to get it next day delivered. I don't know how they can get away with upping prices by thousands of percent just because they know that people will go to them and they know that people will spend that money because they want it They want it quick sticks. So that's what I'm washing my hands of today. I'm washing my hands of uh, big uh, delivery companies uh, upping prices of uh, stuff. I thought you said that was nice <laughs> and simple. <laughs> I think the word you was looking for is profiteering. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know big words, but yeah, first, first, first ever trillionaire is it that he was in the news for being this this week because of what has happened? Yeah. So Make cash money. Right. Well, we'll see who wins this week. 
Okay, that's all we have time for this week. Another great episode. I'm sure you'll agree. Big thanks to Mike and Matt for coming on and showing us that referees do have a human side and it was a great insight in how to get into referee and how their careers have gone. And yeah, the referees just love football. Uh, final words, Will? No, it was a great insight to um, gain a bit more empathy for the referees. It's interesting. Some good talks. Yeah, good. Rippers, any final words? Yeah, I've made it clearly obvious in our group chats and stuff this week that I I wasn't really looking forward to this one as much as the others. But after that podcast tonight, um, yeah, really, really appreciated the lads coming on and uh, um, it's definitely taught me a few lessons. Yeah, I think we can all agree that even us four have learned something from the lads tonight. So it's really good. And as always, final words from you, Alan. Uh, Mike Dean over Mr. Bean and don't be a Troy Deeney meanie. And that's it. Next time, we'll see you next week on the bench.